welcome to episode 24 of the History Hotline. Today we will be learning about Mary Seacole. And you might be thinking, oh, actually, she is the one figure in black history that I actually know about, you know. She is actually on the British National Curriculum. So if you went to school uh, in the last, I think, 20 or 25, 30 years, you should have learned something about Mary Seacole, we hope. This month, the month of March, is actually Women's History Month. Obviously, you know, this is a podcast that specifically looks at Black British and Caribbean history. So we will be looking at um, Black British and Caribbean women um, during this Women's History Month. But also, um, you know, women's movements and women's organisations in Britain more, more widely. I don't like just doing episodes about people. But I think Mary Seacole is such a trailblazer in regards to women um, and their kind of movement and their roles in, you know, the post-war era that they took up. Um, I think Mary Seacole was such a trailblazer and an icon in that sense. I do believe it's very important we start with her. Apart from that, you know, I want to look at organisations this month. Um... We'll be looking at some other women as well. Um, you know, there'll be content created on Instagram, especially for some of the other prominent women in Black British history and in the Caribbean. And even we might even look at some women in Africa because I think, you know, women are so neglected, especially black women. Black women are so neglected when it comes to history, any kind of history. And I did my dissertation um, for my master's degree looking at Caribbean women specifically in Britain and Mary Seacole was kind of the starting point of that narrative Um, and so I just feel like I'm really in my zone this month. I'm going to have a good month. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy this research, I enjoy making these podcasts but this month I'm in my bag so be ready. Be ready for some exceptional and extraordinary black women that have unfortunately been erased from the narrative Um, But here we are, writing them back into history. So as I've mentioned, this month is Women's History Month and I wanted to, I guess, signpost you and alert you to a charity um, that has been coming up on my, like, timeline on Twitter and my Instagram feed for quite some time now because they've been having a lot of problems um, with Hackney Council um, and the work that they do, I believe, is so imperative that, you know, they have a GoFundMe at the moment and... I do all this educating for free, Um, you know, some people have very kindly um, said, you know, please let me um, compensate you for your labour because we've learnt so much for free that we would otherwise maybe pay for in a book, Um, but if there's anyone listening that feels that way, I want to signpost you to Sister Space, Sister spelt S-I-S-T-A-H, Sister Space Sanctuary, Um, it's a charity dedicated to supporting African and Caribbean heritage women and girls affected by domestic and sexual abuse. And the charity was established after um, the murder of um, a woman called Valerie Ford and her 23-month-old baby, RJ, um, who from Hackney, and the perpetrator was an ex-partner of Valerie and the baby's father. Um, You know, she had reported this, um, reported the threats made to her and her son, and, you know, it was kind of in vain because she was killed anyway um black people black women often feel unable to report abuse for many reasons um due to not being believed due to fears um of what will happen to a black man in police custody black women tend to bear the burden of that um because we know there is institutional racism and as much as 
a black woman might want to see justice done or to feel safe, um, she's also aware that justice um, might not come from the police. Hackney Council um, have decided that Sister Space um, have to return to a shopfront building um, in an unsafe area. Um, and this is a space that is currently serving the community, serving black women, um, and it's under threat. You know, fundraising for charities has been at an all-time low due to the pandemic, and Sister Space have been one of those charities that have been affected. They have created a GoFundMe, and most of the information I just read out was actually from their GoFundMe introduction. Um, I'll put the link for that in my bio. I'll put it in the show notes, my bio and Instagram and Twitter show notes. I'll tweet about it and retweet some of their pleas for, for funding and for money. Um they really do need this money and you know people have been donating so much i think they're at about 116,000 they're trying to re- reach 150,000 um but i just really thought it was important that this month you know for women's history month that we illuminate these charities that are doing the work and struggling to do so um you know i have a platform now that you know quite a few people are tuning in thank you all um so yeah if you do have spare coins you know you've saved a bit on on your commute whilst we've been in lockdown or anything of that nature please please do donate if you can or do some more research or just tweet about them raise awareness because they are being pushed out um i i believe it's all kind of linked into gentrification um especially it being in hackney in that area um but it's something that definitely needs to be addressed um so yeah do some research about them and and if you feel comfortable please do donate thank you and now for our episode so as i said we'll be talking about mary seacole born mary jane grant on the 23rd of november 1805 in jamaica um, and she died on the 14th of may 1881 so she was a british jamaican um, nurse healer and businesswoman and I say British Jamaican because her father was uh, British and her mother was Jamaican and she was born in 1805 which was a time where black people in Jamaica were enslaved for the most part but there was a class of free uh, black people um, and mixed race people who would be known as mulattoes. And so she came from the traditions of Jamaican and West African doctresses um, and her mom was of that tradition. Um, her mom would heal people using tropical and herbal remedies in Jamaica. And she passed on these skills to Mary Seacole, um, who then, you know, decided that her calling in life was to help British soldiers, despite, you know, how far the conflicts and battlefields would be. Um, and she ended up fighting, well, not fighting, helping in the Crimean War, um, in 1853 in Russia um, she was on the front lines um, as a healer and a doctress um, and a nurse she didn't have like formal British nursing qualifications or training but you know we're talking about the 1800s here um, she was trained in using herbal remedies and tropical remedies um, to fight diseases that would have been quite common in the soldier she would have been faced with in the front lines of the Crimean War So just to give some context into the role of a doctress in Jamaica, you know, we are talking about the 1800s, so we are talking about a time where there is slavery, um, there are essentially um, slave masters, um, planters, uh, plantation owners on the island as well as enslaved people and free people. Um, And the role of this kind of doctress figure was a mixture of a nurse, a midwife, kind of masseuse, a herbalist, drawing on traditions of Creole medicine and those traditions would have come from West Africa um, as the enslaved people were kidnapped and taken. So 
these women were doing the the role of a nurse essentially um before it's it's called that and before they are professionally and trained officially to do that um they would have also nursed and cared for the plantation owners as well as the enslaved people um if if that was the case there are other famous um, doctresses, Jamaican doctresses um, in the 18th century Jamaica, Mrs. alongside Mrs. Grant, who is Mary Seacole's mother, um, Cuba Cornwallis, Sarah Adams, Grace Dawn. They cared for one of Jamaica's wealthiest planters, a man called Simon Taylor. Um, and they also were in the habit of good hygiene, which you might be thinking, of course, you know, they're healers. Um, the doctresses, of course, they have to know about hygiene, but hygiene wasn't a th- it wasn't common knowledge. The way germs spread, it wasn't known. You know, there was a point in history where people believed that germs were spreading just through the air. Um, They believed in something called miasma, where the seeds of disease would float through the air. If anyone has done medicine through time as their GCSE topic in history, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Medicine has developed so vastly and so quickly over certain periods of time. In In the 18th and 19th century in Jamaica... Um, the use of kind of hygiene and good hygiene practices would have not necessarily been common. It wouldn't have been common in Britain. It wouldn't have been common in many parts of the world. Um, But the practice of good hygiene, you know, a century before Florence Nightingale even pens notes on nursing, which is um, what she's known for, um, this is what they were doing in Jamaica. So Mary Seacole is able to learn these things. You know, she's coming from a very strong tradition and a very um, integrated tradition within Jamaican society. And she is able to learn from her mother and from the women around her um, and begin experimenting in medicine, in tropical remedies, in herbal remedies. Um, and firstly, she actually worked on dolls um, to administer her medicine and experiment. She progressed to pets. Um, and then started helping her mother treat, obviously, obviously humans. Um, and her family had close ties with the army because her dad, um, he was a Scottish lieutenant in the British army. So they had links with, um, you know, the military. And so she was able to have access to, to soldiers, essentially. And combining that knowledge with the work she'd done with her mother, she was able to, I think, be very comfortable around soldiers. I think that's where she felt her calling lie. Um, she was always drawn to helping those um, that were fighting for for Britain. So, as we've said, Mary Seacole's passion for medicine, helping others, developed at a young age. You know, she's following in her mother's footsteps. Her mother has a boarding house called Blundell Hall. Um, and, you know, during this time, this is where Mary was observing everything and honing her skills and her interests. So she worked and lived in uh, Jamaica in the wider Caribbean area from 1826 to about 1851. Um, And during this time, she actually took over Blundell Hall when her mother unfortunately passed away. She treated patients in the cholera epidemic of 1850, which actually killed around 32,000 Jamaicans. During this time, she gains like vital information about contagion theory and how diseases spread. Um, obviously, you know, not to the scientific degree or level that could be done in a lab, but on, uh, you know, grassroots on the ground, we need to treat the people that are ill right now. She learnt a lot. So in 1851, she travelled to Panama, and I'm sorry, it seems like I'm rushing through, but we're going to get to the actual 
part of her life that she's kind of known for and I do really want to think about her legacy as well because there's a reason why Mary Seacole's on the curriculum and other black women aren't and there's a reason why um, you know she's one of the only statues in Britain of a black woman I think there's only about three or four statues of black women in Britain Mary Seacole is one of them there is a reason um, so 1851 she travels to Panama to visit her brother um, Panama's then struck by cholera um, and so she gets involved in treating and curing victims and she just her reputation as a nurse and a healer it really really grows and it soars Mary reads of the Crimean War which started in 1853 um, and it's a war between Russia and Britain remember at the time Britain is definitely definitely in charge of Jamaica and many Caribbean islands definitely being referred to as the mother country um, and the kind of colonial link is very strong at that time you know we're not even stepping anywhere near the 1900s yet so we're talking about slavery still still a thing um, and so Mary Seacole is in Panama um, reading about this Crimean war and in 1854 she actually travels from Panama to England so she could join the second contingent of nurses to the Crimea. She applies officially through the war office um, and other government offices, but was repeatedly refused. Can anybody guess why? I'll give you three, two, one. Yep, because of her race. Um, she speaks about it in her autobiography, actually. Um, she has an autobiography called The Wonderful Adventures of Mary C Mrs. Seacole in Many Lands. And oh, I want to get into why she... We're not, we won't talk about that yet. You don't know what I was thinking, but we won't talk about it yet. What I will say is, in this autobiography, um, which I've read, it's wonderful, she speaks about this lazy Creole ideology and that she is trying to subvert and challenge in her own life. Um, a Creole, for her, being someone that's mixed race, she would have been legally identified as a mulatto or a quadroon um, due to her percentage mix of black and white um in that society at that time she was referred to by some as a yellow lady um probably due to her complexion um and she was very aware of the stereotypes um and her place in society as a mixed race woman just because um you know she wasn't fully black her place was nowhere near the top of the kind of social hierarchy or racial hierarchy um, it wouldn't have been in the same place as someone that would have been fully black at the time they would have probably been enslaved and she was free um, but regardless there are still stereotypes attached to her not only as a black person and as, as a creole shall we say but as a woman as well you know her place wasn't necessarily to be on a front line but she found herself on a front line um, and we'll get to how soon so this is also a similar time where Florence Nightingale is doing her thing in Britain, just for context and just for kind of a little comparison, if you're, if you're thinking about that. So, she applies to the war office, government offices, she's repeatedly refused. This is Mary Seacole's calling, you know. She believes that God has told her she is to be on that front line helping these soldiers. So she is going by any means necessary, I'm telling you that now. And when you read the autobiography, if you ever get around to it, she it's so clear that she just believes that it's her purpose, it's her calling, it's her destiny to do this, to do this work for people. So Mary Seacole, you know, she's not, they're not flying her out, you know, <laughs> um, they're not getting her to England. Um, sorry, they're not getting her to the Crimea. And so she decides she's going to get there by all means necessary, you know. 
she's a businesswoman, as I've said. She's run Blundell House um, in the past when her mother's passed away. She has also has money, which is a very, very key and important thing to think about. Um, she uses her own resources, essentially. She pays for the ability uh, to go to the Crimea. She gets there. She arranges um, for business cards to be sent, announcing the opening of her British hotel, as she called it. Um, she described it as a mess table and comfortable quarters for sick and convalescent officers. The British Hotel was completed in July 1855, as in it was built, you know, in the Crimea. I think it was a region called Skaturi. Um, and it had a main room, you know, kitchens, sleeping huts, outhouses, stable yard. And then she also got provisions from London and Constantinople, which, um, you know, she personally sold to soldiers. So not just med- medical provisions, but also things like alcohol, um, kind of creature comforts that soldiers would be missing at home because I think she realised that in healing people it wasn't necessarily always about the medicine it was sometimes about the kind of mental side of it you know if you're a soldier fighting far away from home sometimes the thing that might have you feeling better or being better mentally um, could just be something that reminds you of home Um, and so that was different kinds of foods drinks that she brought in um, from London um so that you know they would feel better in that sense not necessarily medically I mean if someone has like a broken leg um a glass of gin's not really going to help them um however you know in the moment they might feel slightly better but she was very aware of all these things so you might be thinking well why did Mary Seacole just decide to go straight to the front line like who told her she could build a British hotel and just you know scurry over to the front lines well I'll tell you how she got there Mary Seacole is determined to help these soldiers and get to the Crimea. So, Florence Nightingale has set up a hospital in Skaturi, um, and Mary Seacole gets there and, you know, says, well, can I work with your group of nurses to treat the soldiers? Um, and she's rejected. Now, again, it's not explicitly said that it was um, Florence Nightingale going, it's because you're black, but... I don't know. I can't really assume anything else. Um, Forgive me if I am being overzealous, but I would definitely say that it's probably because she's black. Not necessarily because, um, you know, she didn't want to work with a black person, although this was implied. I would say that the stereotypes that Mrs. Seacole in her um, autobiography is so familiar with, this idea of the lazy Creole, these stereotypes are all negative about black people, what they can do, what they are able to do and what they are willing to do. Um, I think those stereotypes are very pervasive. And they are the reason why um, Mary Seacole is is rejected. Um, And also, obviously, you know, tying into the fact that they maybe didn't want to work with a black person. They didn't know what that would be like. um, And they had their prejudices and their discrimination. Um, But Mary Seacole was not to be... She didn't take no very well. In fact, she doesn't take no at all. No doesn't... It doesn't mean anything to her, I don't think. Um, why she's um, one of the many inspirations in my life because she really just does not take no for an answer. So, um, as I've said, you know, she sets up the British Hotel. She sets it up, and I'm going to tell you where she sets it up. Four miles from the front line. Four miles is not far when it comes to battles, front lines, bombs, guns, bang, 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 explosions. Four miles, right? 
so she is she's getting these soldiers they've been shot four miles away and they're they're getting to her straight away or not necessarily shot but wounded injured hurt um it's insane to me that she said it up that close um there's stories actually from other soldiers and officers as well as in her um, autobiography of her literally having to duck and dive from bombs and explosions like explosions going over her head and she just having to drop to the ground and she was quite a big lady um and people soldiers have commented on that like it was not amusing to see her going up and down dropping to the floor um because obviously it's very serious and it's a war zone um but you know it was also quite a sight they've said um quite a wondrous sight because Nobody asked Mary Seacole to be there. Mary Seacole believed it was her destiny and her portion in life to help these soldiers. And I'll tell you what really cemented her influence and her impact on these men that were healed by her. She healed so many men. It's ridiculous to me that um, a woman who funded this whole expedition herself, was rejected by so many official people and people that are so widely recognised and heralded today, like our good old Florence Nightingale with her Nightingale hospitals in this pandemic. That was one thing, you know, when all these hospitals were being named Nightingale, I thought, oh, I wonder if there'll be a Seacole hospital. And I wasn't surprised that there wasn't, but it just, um, yeah, it struck a chord, I would say. There's also a horrible history sketch um, of the little beef between Mary Seacole and Florence Nightingale um it's actually been contested by um historians and also those people that are interested in the heritage slash legacy of Florence Nightingale because it's said to be quite an inaccurate sketch um so I would take all this information with a pinch of salt when it comes to that little disagreement or conversation that could have occurred between Florence Nightingale and Mary Seacole however um as you can probably imagine, my mind is made up about what I think happened. I wasn't there, but I can I can infer. I would like to say that Mary Seacole was one of the women I initially wanted to do my dissertation on for my master's. So I have actual paragraphs of work that I've written that were going to be the start of my dissertation, in fact. And they didn't make it, actually. They didn't make the cut. So here they are, for one night only. I'm going to read them out because these speak on her legacy and they speak on how she was forgotten in history. And she really was. There's a reason you're learning about her today, and we're going to get there shortly. Um, but if you haven't guessed, it has something to do with the fact that she wrote a book about herself. Because it seems to be the case that in history, if a black woman wants to be remembered, she has to write about herself. When you think about it, the only the two of the women that I've done podcast epi- episodes on, Fanny Eaton and Beryl Gilroy... Beryl Gilroy wrote an autobiography and Fanny Eaton was a subject of art. She was literally drawn into history by those people that were, you know, in the pre-Raphaelite movement. So you can see my point um, with this idea of erasing black women from history because for the most part, they're there because they have written themselves in or in the case of Fanny Eaton, they've been drawn in. Okay, before that turns into a conversation and a tangent about something that isn't directly relevant to today's episode, I'm going to go into my paragraph that I didn't put in my dissertation and now you get to hear. So, in 1854, British Jamaican Mary Seacole travelled from her native Jamaica to Britain to volunteer as a nurse during the Crimean War. Despite facing rejection from a hospital nurse role, a failed appeal to the War Office and a dismissal from Florence Nightingale, 
at a hospital in Skituri, she headed to the front line in Crimea. Mother Seacole, as she was known, set up the British Hotel four miles from the front line and healed many soldiers through her experiences in medicine and healing. How could England forget a woman who made it her personal mission to travel across the world and heal sick and wounded soldiers on the front line during active conflict? Seacole referred to as a coloured or a black woman navigating British society and subverting ideas relating to gender and race. The lazy Creole ideology perpetuated by British society was challenged by Mary Seacole's desire to serve British soldiers despite the lack of support she was initially given. She overcame the barrier set up for women that looked like her, but despite her gratuitous service, England did forget the one who nursed her sick, who sought out her wounded to aid and secure them. And that is a quote taken directly from Mary Seacole's autobiography, The Preface, by W.H. Russell, who was a special correspondent of The Times and established his reputation through the independence, um, through his independent reporting of the Crimean War. He was one of the most influential journalists at the time, and he also received a knighthood in 1902 and wrote this um, preface for Mary Seacole because he's, he literally said the words, you know, I trust that England will not forget the one who nursed her sick and sought out her wounded to aid and secure them. And who performed the last offices for some of her illustrious dead. As we know, Britain really do honour those who have died in war and active conflict, and it was no different in 1854 um, during the Crimean War, and Mary Seacole was honouring them with her work. And so, you know, we might not necessarily think that's what we would do um, if we were her, but she was completely and utterly adored by those soldiers that she saved and healed and helped. And we'll get on to further evidence of this later. I'm going to finish my paragraph now anyway. Thank you. <laughs> so, Mary Seacole clearly highlights in her life a sentiment that persist persisted in regards to coloured women and their potential role in Britain. Mary Seacole is often used as the only black British woman in retelling black women's contribution to Britain. History forgot her, and it wasn't until 1984 through a republication of her autobiography that she published originally in the late 1800s, did she reappear? If she had not written this autobiography, would her story have been forgotten forever? Mary Seacole is the only named black British woman on the national curriculum. Also, after years of campaigning, is now standing outside of Guy's Hospital London in statue form. These campaigns were led by the likes of Connie Marks and Elizabeth Anyonwu at various points of their own lives. And both of these women are black women. And it really does speak to the notion that black women are often solely responsible for the recognition of their lives and the cultural impact of those who share in their identities. My point there was, it seems to be only black women that are remembering black women in history. I mean, case in point right here on the History Hotline. My research so far has been quite centred on black women. And I think that will remain the case in the future because... I just feel like this work isn't being done by the mainstream at all. Black history is not being done very well by the mainstream at all, but black women are in serious threat of, of some kind of historical extinction um, if things carry on the way they are. And Connie Mark, um, I think I've mentioned her in past episodes. Um, she was um, a member of the ATS, the Auxiliary Territorial Service, during World War II from Jamaica. Um, she stayed in Jamaica, actually. She was a medical secretary 
um, during the war. Elizabeth Anyonwu um, is a nurse and professor and she is an incredible woman and has written also an autobiography funnily enough letters from a cambridge union and um, it came out recently she's also been awarded the pride of britain award very recently too and she has done a lot of work on campaigning for the recognition of mary seacole and also on diseases such as sickle cell which impact and affect black people disproportionately um, than white people um, globally and in this country specifically too um, and also she has campaigned to make sure that medical students are actually being taught about what diseases certain diseases especially to do with the skin and maybe hair look like on black people because as we know you know black people don't necessarily go red they might not get a red rash they don't really go you know we don't go blue in the face but the default for medical standards in this country are on tested on white people um, and so that can lead to misdiagnoses and as we know black women are dying disproportionately um, in childbirth um, and medical racism is a thing both of these women have done incredible things and they have also you know through their work campaigned for the recognition of a fellow black women woman who paved the way and came before them so as i mentioned mary c cole has written this autobiography you might be thinking well when did she do that then so she came back from um the crimean war and she was bankrupt like she has no money because she spent it all on helping these soldiers um and so the some of the soldiers kind of come together and they create this like fundraising banquet for her um and it allows her to raise funds to actually um i think she sets up another um hospital type premise um in england also to support her fundraising she literally has no money she writes this autobiography to raise money because it's going to be sold and so i just find that quite an interesting little piece of information to this narrative because it's not just her maybe arrogantly suggesting that she deserves to be remembered in history that's not what's happening by any means you know this is um this is a financial attempt at at securing some funds because she's bankrupt after all the work she's done but the beautiful thing about this autobiography is she has a section where she includes remarks from the press and from soldiers um, about what they had to say about her and again this autobiography another beautiful thing about it is the fact that it's not until 1984 that it's kind of rediscovered and republished and this is where you know Britain kind of starts to wake up and re-remember Mary Seacole even though WH Russell said England cannot forget her well they forgot her they really did they forgot this black woman that you know traveled halfway across the world to 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 heal their wounded soldiers I want to read out some of the remarks Punch's remarks are that very brown face with a kind heart's trace impressed on each wrinkle sly was a sight to behold through the snow clouds rolled across that iron sky so that's kind of you know romanticizing our mary in a beautiful way um and suggesting you know that her face was kind of warming to those soldiers you know kind eyes um and it was a sight to behold in the snowy snowy crimea interestingly mary c cole refers to um these tributes coming up um and says here are two from one of my best and kindest sons. She referred to them as her sons because they referred to her as Mother Seacole, as their mother, you know, their mother away from home. That was to look after them and get them back to full health so that they could return home. 
So one of them beautifully said, having been attacked one evening with a very bad diarrhoea at Mrs. Seacole's, took some of her good medicine. It cured me before the next morning and I have never been attacked since. And that was from October 1855. Another one that says... I certify that Madame Seacole twice cured me effectually of dysentery while in the Crimea, and also my clerk and the men of my court. One of them says, Dear Mrs Seacole, it is with feelings of great pleasure that I hear you are safely arrived in England, upon which I beg to congratulate you and return you many thanks for your kindness whilst in the Crimea. The bitter sherry you kindly made up for me was in truth a great blessing to both myself and my son, as I expect to go to Bombay shortly, I would feel grateful if you would favour me with the receipt for making it, as it appears to be so grateful a beverage for my weakness and bowel complaints in a warm climate. With many re kind regards, believe me, dear madam, your obliged servant, Samuel P, and his name is blocked out, his surname beginning with a P, um, and he was late superintendent, Army Works Corps. So, as you can tell from some of those, you know, you've got soldiers wanting to pay her back, for the things she did for them whilst they were in need. Um, and, you know, checking in on her after the whole battle's been done. I've never checked in on a doctor that has ever, you know, helped me out. And I know it's a different time and we don't do things like that anymore. We all have our own GPs that we see all the time, forever real, um, God forbid. But I just found the relationship that she had um, and that she nurtured with those soldiers um, to be quite an interesting one in in the sense of, you know, them being her sons and she being their mother so that is pretty much everything there is to say well it's not it's nowhere near everything there is to say about mary seacole but it's all this podcast we'll be saying about mary seacole um and as we've said it's women's history month and i'm happy to have started with such an incredible and selfless woman and i hope this has inspired you to read her autobiography maybe or read some of the work that's been written about her um there is a wealth of, of information because she's on the national curriculum you can find child level videos um from like primary school all the way up um in regards to to finding out more information about mary seacole remember these podcasts are only just an introduction to anyone that we speak about or any themes really because there's only so much you can say about someone in like half an hour really um so this is the first episode of our women's history month i hope you enjoyed our black us times uk crossover history month that was last month and please follow us on twitter on instagram on um linkedin and tune in on google podcasts spotify or itunes and episodes are also going up four episodes a week on youtube there will be back episodes and we're aiming to get to about april where everything will be um already on there and we can start potentially recording for um, YouTube in the future or creating separate content for YouTube um, that will be as engaging and as educational as this podcast so thank you all for listening have a wonderful week goodbye